Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. Hello, friends. We're going to kick things off today with a question. Uh, In our gathering, this was a group discussion. So if you are gathered with someone else, some other friends, then uh, I'd say discuss this with them. The question is, what is a Christian? But there's a catch. You are not simply answering this question for yourself. What I want you to do is put yourself in three other people's shoes and answer the question, what is a Christian, from their perspective. So, here are the three people. You might think of someone you know, a friend. Uh, Here are the three people whose shoes you are stepping into to answer the question, what is a Christian? Number one is someone with active faith in God. How would they answer this question? Number two is an atheist friend, someone who is certain that there is no God. How would they answer this question? What is a Christian? And number three is a secular friend, someone who is wrapped up in a million things Uh, Work, pleasure, struggle, achievement, living for the weekend. And, man, they they just have not had a whole lot of exposure to the worshiping community, to God at all. They have no idea if there's a God. They're, They're just doing life as it is. How would they answer this question? What is a Christian? So go ahead pause the video and answer that question from three different perspectives. gathering on Sunday, we listened to one another's answers. Uh, And I I expect if you're by yourself, you don't need to listen to your own answers. Um, And if you're gathered with a few friends, you've already heard one another's answers. One of the questions is, as you look at how those three different people would answer the question, do you notice similarities? Do you notice differences? Uh, Are those three answers different in any way? 
And one of the things that I was really curious about was whether or not the word kind or the word kindness would show up in any of the answers. Did anyone who you thought of describe a Christian as kind? Was that word important in your answer? Now, we're going to come back to that word Christian, but let's explore the word kindness for just a minute. So uh, another discussion question for you, uh, if you're by yourself, maybe just think about your answer. What is kindness? Who are some of the kindest people you have ever known? And why would you call them kind? What was it about them that makes them kind? Think of specific examples. So take a moment, pause the video, and answer that question. All right, welcome back. So the biblical usage of this word, kindness, krestates, is warm-hearted concern for others. It's going out of your way without fanfare. It's offering and receiving help. It's, it's someone who wants to help. It's the active side of love. It's being thoughtful for others and encouraging, comforting, serving, putting other people's needs before your own. Generosity. It's doing things for someone else's benefit, being useful. The most repeated scripture in the entire Old Testament, it's where God describes God's self. We looked at this passage last week as well. Exodus 34, verse 6, uh, God says to Moses, he says, I am the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, we looked at that last week, and rich in, and then the Hebrew word is hesed, which is loving kindness. It's often translated loving kindness. It's this, this covenant word, and it's one of the most descriptive words of God. It, throughout scripture, especially the, the Old Testament. And so, kindness, very important to God. Throughout scripture, this word kindness, it's not only associated with like being all smiles and being nice and happy. It's associated with active care for the vulnerable as well. Uh, for example, Zechariah 7 verse 9 the prophet Zechariah says, Administer true justice, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, or the poor. So for Zechariah, this picture of kindness is a picture of the way that you are caring for and treating the most vulnerable. The question is, how important is it for Christians to be kind? Is kindness like a, an optional upgrade for a Christian? Uh, 
Is it an aftermarket accessory, like this custom add-on? Yeah, if you, if you want to be kind to other people, that's fine. Go ahead. More power to you. Or is kindness the distinctive mark of what it means to be a Christian? Are Christians very kind these days? Does kindness matter? Does it matter if Christians are kind? You know, if you look at the latest Barna uh, studies, the latest Pew research on church attendance, and then on the way that non-Christians perceive Christians, it would appear that kindness matters. And sadly, it would appear that there are a lot of non-Christians who do not view Christians as being very kind. Uh, survey results from 2020 say that non-Christians perceive mostly, they mostly perceive the church as either having no impact in their local community or having a harmful impact on their community. So most non-Christians look towards the church and they're not seeing kindness. Uh, perhaps even more concerning though is that 66% of Christians in this study, this survey, same study, they say, no, we're having a very positive impact on our community. So you have this disconnect from reality. Are Christians kind? And, and does it matter if they are kind? And, and what is a Christian? The Apostle Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. And remember, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. Now, that word Christian, it first shows up in the book of Acts, Acts 11, 26. Uh, the disciples in Antioch were called Christians. And that, that word Christian only shows up three times in Scripture, period. However, the early church fathers, they write about how in the earliest centuries of the church, people were confused. They, they were confused about the name for these followers of Jesus. They, it's, are they the Christ people or are they the kind people? And so uh, folks were calling them both. They were calling them Christians and they were calling them the kind ones. They were using both names. Uh, and so you have these two Greek words, the Christ people, the Christianos, and then you have, so that's Christians, or you have the kind people, which is the Christianos, the, like the kindians. Uh, so there's only one letter difference between these two words. And so people were calling them both names. The Roman historian Suetonius, he notes this confusion, like, are they Christianos or Christianos? Uh, and, and it's reported that there were even ancient manuscripts of the book of Acts, like Acts 11.26, that have the textual variant calling them the kind people, like 
oops, we, we got it wrong. But it, it wasn't just a spelling difference. It wasn't like, oh, I, I put uh, the wrong letter right here. The ancient world was not a kind place. It was a world where families lived in very filthy, cramped quarters in many cities. Uh, half of children died in birth or infancy. Most children lost a parent before they grew up. And so a lot of people were falling between the cracks. And there really wasn't a safety net for a lot of people. Ethnic antagonisms, hatred, fear, crime, corruption. And so it wasn't a kind place. But Christians were different because Christians were creating this counterculture of kindness in their local communities. There was this African leader of the early church. His name is Tertullian. He's one of the most important theologians of the time. And he's an apologist, so he's explaining the way of Jesus and the, the way of the worshiping community to the rest of the world. People who, they're like, we just don't get it. And it, it's interesting. He writes entire chapters in his apology about this name confusion. Are they the kind people or the Christ people? Uh, so he has one chapter titled, Christians unjustly condemned for their mere name. He says, even when it's incorrectly pronounced by you, he's, he's writing to non-Christians. So when it's incorrectly pronounced by you, Christian, even that is your acquaintance with the name. It's not accurate. He says, the name, it's formed from sweetness or kindness. So he says, in innocent men, therefore, even an innocent name is hated. You're vilifying in harmless men, even this harmless name we bear. So are you catching what he's saying there? He's saying, guys, you have the name wrong when you're calling us the kind people, but you're actually describing us. So why are you against us? He's like, this is our character. We are the kind people. In a world that was not characterized by kind people, the early Christians were truly the kind people. So he goes on and Tertullian says, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, there's that word, that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, see how they love one another. Can you imagine if Christians today, these days, were branded by their kindness? Can you imagine if that, if that was the thing? People were like, uh, they find out that you're a Christian and they're like, wow, he, he or she must be really kind. Or vice versa. They notice how kind you are and they say, I'll, I'll bet they're a Christian. Kindness, true kindness, has a gravity to it. It's like it draws people to itself. Uh, it doesn't need any tricks, any flashy lights or gimmicks, because it's just deeply attractive the way it is. You look through church history, and 
it's really quite obvious when the church was at its best, when the church was at its healthiest, the church was very kind. And when the church was at its most destructive, its most harmful, its most judgmental, its most divisive, it was, it's like, man, kindness was trampled in the dirt a long time ago. It was completely forgotten. Do our, do our secular friends and neighbors, our atheist friends and neighbors, ever make this confusion that the early, the, that happened with the early church? Do they ever confuse Christ people with kind people? And maybe we should make that more specific. Can you imagine what it would look like if people in Tillamook County looked at the people of Neatard's Friends Church and all Christians, but that's our crew, and they were known, man, those people of Neatard's Friends Church, they're some of the kindest people around. Can you imagine specifically what that would look like? Here's a story of kindness in action from the early church. Uh, the Antoine plague or the, the plague of Gollin. So it was around the year 260 AD. There was this massive epidemic that struck the Roman world. At the height of the epidemic, it's recorded that there were 5,000 people a day dying just in the city of Rome alone. And so these, the cities just stunk of dead bodies because family and friends were dropping like flies and no one knew who was next. And so anyone who could get out of the city, they were fleeing the city. They were running away. Everyone's faith was being called into question. The priests, the religious leaders of these many religions, they were fleeing the cities as well. Dionysius, the bishop of Alexandria, Christian, he, he wrote that Christians were greeting the epidemic as a schooling, as a testing, an opportunity to exercise kindness. He, he wrote this tribute to the kindness, to the nursing efforts of Christians in his city, in Alexandria. So he says, most of our brothers and sisters were unsparing in their exceeding love and brotherly kindness. There it is. They held fast to each other. They visited the sick fearlessly and ministered to them continually, serving them in Christ. And they died with them most joyfully, taking the affliction of others and drawing the sickness from their neighbors to themselves and willingly receiving their pains. He says, with the heathen, everything was quite otherwise. They deserted those who began to be sick and fled from their dearest friends. They cast them out into the streets where they were half dead, and they left the dead like refuse, unburied. So Christians were the ones who, not just in this story, but uh, throughout the early church, they were reaching towards the chronic conditions of their city, of their community, 
and Christianity exploded in those early centuries. It's like it grew in leaps and bounds. Poor, dislocated, marginalized people flocked to Christianity because of the kindness that they were witnessing. The Roman emperor, Julian, he wrote a letter to the Roman high priest, not a Christian, and he says, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the Roman priests, the impious Galileans, he means Christians, observe this, and they devote themselves to benevolence. And the impious Galileans, the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. And everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. So can you see the gravitational force of kindness, the way that it is so attractive? Who was the kindest person to ever live? I'm convinced it was Jesus. Jesus saw infinite worth in every single person. Jesus always had time for every poor, every marginalized person. He's constantly eating and drinking and talking with and touching all of these people whose society said, yeah, you guys have no worth. You're dirty. You're useless. You're good for nothing. And that's not how Jesus treats them. Jesus' life, in many ways, you read through the Gospels, and his life seems like a series of interruptions. And yet, Jesus always is stopping and listening and touching and talking and healing and caring. He's the kindest man to ever live. The only people who I find Jesus expressing anger towards in the Gospels are the ones who are not being kind. People flock to Jesus because he was kind. The Apostle Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So repentance is this reorientation of your entire life towards God. And so can you see this gravitational force of kindness reorienting an entire life? Not many people reorient their entire life because they feel like they lost an argument, even though there are a whole lot of people trying to, uh, they try to win an argument when they try to introduce someone to Jesus. Not many people reorient their entire life because of the threat of eternal damnation. Uh, they, they may run away from that threat for a short time, but they don't reorient their entire life. But there's something about kindness. Kindness is winsome. It's attractive. It has a gravitational pull. And it does invite people to reorient their entire life, which is repentance. It's the, the kindness of God does lead people to reorient their life. The fruit of the Spirit, God in us, us in God, that fruit is kindness.
I want to be a person of kindness. I, I trust you want to be a person of kindness. So what is it that keeps us from this kindness? What keeps the kindness of God from growing within us? Kindness shrivels when we become addicted to being right. You know, it's really interesting. So I was preparing this sermon and I was trying to look up some of these studies, the the surveys that I mentioned earlier. I knew that there was some material I had read about Christians and kindness and the way that non-Christians perceive Christians. And so I'm I'm searching. I'm trying to find these studies. I knew I'd read them before. And so I'm on the internet, and guess what kept popping up? I'm trying to find Christians and kindness, but instead what I keep finding is things about Christians and being right. Uh, I found survey after survey that was focused on Christians and winning arguments, and Christians and uh, my system of beliefs Are you bending to my logic or not? And it's like when we fixate on being right, we almost automatically stop putting others, other people's needs before our own needs. It's so easy when we get into this being right addiction mode to to kind of swish switch into this pressure thing where now I need to convince you of my answer and I need to win the argument and I need to conquer the world with I'm right. And many of us even associate our identity with our ideas. So if you don't agree with my ideas, that feels very personal. That's my ego and, and who I am because I think I'm right. And so if you're not agreeing with my ideas, I, I feel like you're making a stab. You're tearing at, at who I am. And, man, somewhere in all that scuffling dust of that mess, it's like this fruit of kindness just shrivels. Kindness shrivels also when we become addicted to self-sufficiency. So we live in this do-it-yourself world. And so from a young age, it is reinforced that your talents and your abilities belong to you, and they are for you. Like the, the model of success that is handed to many children is like, how are you going to succeed in this world? Well, you're going to succeed by your talents and by your abilities. And so we, we live in this illusion of a self-made man, a self-made woman. And that's, that's the way a lot of people look at their talents, their abilities. You know, you sit down at your kitchen table in your house and you eat a meal and you think, this is mine. I earned this. This belongs to me. And you fail to consider the logger out there who cut the tree, the millwright who processed the wood, the carpenter who built the chair, 
you are sitting on, the farmer who planted the fruit, the migrant worker who picked the fruit, the truck driver who delivered the fruit, the store clerk who stacked the fruit and kept it fresh, the teacher who, who taught all of them to do most of what they're doing, and, and on and on and on. Once you start thinking, nope, I made it here on my own, then, yeah, it's like, why help anyone else in a significant way with their life? They can rely on their talents. They can rely on their abilities. They can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And so kindness shrivels when we fail to see that our lives are woven together, interconnected, interdependent. None of us truly made it here on our own. Our gifts and our abilities are given to us for the sake of others. Kindness shrivels when we become addicted to me, me, me. So when our mind is my time, my agenda, my schedule, my work, my life, my plans, my projects, all good things, by the way. But where is the room for the infinite worth of all persons when I'm giving all of the worth to me? And it's not that folks in this place don't want to be kind. It's that they don't have any room to be kind. When, when we become fixated on me, 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 people are replaced with things that serve me. So rather than saying, I don't want to live without so-and-so, this person, they are so special. They are so precious. Instead, it's like we shift that center of gravity. It's, man, I just couldn't live without my smartphone or my laptop or my tools or my truck or my things, whatever it is. And people become problems and burdens who we could really do without if we just had our things and, and in the midst of me, 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 kindness shrivels. The fruit of the spirit is kindness. It's not something we do. It's this byproduct of God in me and me in God. And, and when I'm living out of that, kindness just spills out of me. It just spills out of you. So, your final discussion question today, what does it look like when the kindness of God is flowing through you? What, what's that like for you? And what's going on inside of you when that's happening? So, have that discussion. Love you, friends. <laughs>